there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Tonight on The Readout... Leader McCarthy, do you have to speak the vote for speaker tomorrow? McCarthy, do you have the votes for speaker locked in tomorrow? I think we're going to have a good day tomorrow. Kevin McCarthy plays Let's Make a Deal with the most radical fringe members of the Republican caucus with his long-time quest to become speaker in serious peril. Or comical peril, depending on your point of view. One vote Kevin needs to, belo- to needs belongs to George Santos, the biggest liar in Washington since Donald Trump left town. We're getting a look at Trump's taxes, but where did Santos get his money? Also tonight, Gen Z finally arrives in Congress. 25-year-old Congressman-elect Maxwell Alejandro Frost joins me. And Republicans love to call themselves pro-life, but in recent weeks, many of those same people were voting against bare minimum protections for women and children. And tonight... We're calling them out. We begin tonight with a happy new year to all. We are now in the year 20 Michael Jordan. Big up to Dr. Ashby for that one. And hopefully 2023 won't weirdly decide to play baseball instead of sticking to its core competency. Now, 2022 ended with a couple of somber notes. The great Barbara Walters passed, as did a retired pope. But we also learned some things. We discovered from the final report of the January 6th committee how widespread the efforts were from Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 presidential election, which he lost. And we learned definitively that the dumbest decision Trump ever made, besides trying to operate casinos or trying to force USFL games into the fall season when he owned the New Jersey Generals and Herschel Walker played for him, or, well, looking directly into an eclipse, was to run for president. I mean, think about it. If he had never run for and become president, thanks to the democracy crushing electoral college, most of y'all would still think that Trump was a billionaire and he'd probably have scored a spot on like celebrity big brother or at least a cameo in one of the housewife shows, maybe even the best man holiday. Instead, during Christmas, New Year, the, the Christmas New Year week, Trump's taxes were released to the public. And we found out, unsurprisingly, that it appears Trump claimed business deductions to cover personal expenses. And as his then lawyer, Michael Cohen, claims, that is exactly what Trump did with the bribe money Cohen paid to porn actress Stormy Daniels to compensate her for her brilliant acting job pretending to be attracted to Donald Trump. Yes, Trump is a cash poor multimillionaire who might face indictment and who's holed up in the fascist vacation hub called Florida alongside Jair Bolsonaro, who fled Brazil after sharing Trump's humiliation of not being reelected and who was last seen milling around with fellow Brazilian expats in Orlando, probably wondering where all the drag shows went. And of course, crimey swinger Roger Stone. But there are no history books anywhere to be seen, so their tender minds are safe. Florida Governor DeSantis, who any second now will likely announce for president, is under criminal investigation for trafficking Venezuelan migrants to states where it's legal to read books other than Leviticus. And it turns out the whole operation was also a cool way to funnel cash to one of his aides. 
though at least the migrants trafficked by Governor White Power weren't deposited on VP Kamala Harris's doorstep in 13 degree temperatures on literal Christmas Eve, like the victims of fellow bizarrely reelected Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. Meanwhile, in Congress, speaking of hellscapes, this week, President Joe Biden will be Bidening alongside Mitch McConnell, of all people, to big up the bipartisan infrastructure bill that almost no Republicans supported, but all took credit for during the election that they underperformed it. And in the House, for the first time in 100 years, it seems unlikely that a speaker will be named in tomorrow's first vote. That's because Kevin McCarthy appears to be coming up short on the votes among his own caucus even after conceding to his naysayers and making it easier for them to oust him if they don't like the job that he does. It puts him at 50-50 on losing a game of Survivor against the guy who called himself David Duke without the baggage, while Marjorie Taylor Greene, whose new enemy is also Team QAnon, namely Lauren Boebert, is going to be in charge, while open white nationalist Paul Gosar gets his committee assignments back. In short, Everything is fine. <laughs> Join me now to discuss what the Republican mess will look like is my first panel of 2023. David Jolly, former Republican congressman from Florida, who's no longer affiliated with the party. And Eugene Scott, national political reporter for The Washington Post. I, I'm going to go to you first, Eugene, to just give me your read just from the reporting world on how close or how far Kevin McCarthy is and how much of his soul uh, and or liver and other organs is he having to sell in order to get to 218 votes? Well, so far, it looks like there are five votes that have been vocal in terms of not going to back McCarthy tomorrow. But the number has also been said to be as big as maybe 14. And so we don't completely know. What we do know is that as of right now, he does not appear to have the votes. And that, as you can imagine, is of great concern to him because this is supposed to be settled in 24 hours. But that's not what things are looking like they'll be right now. So, 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 David, there's 222 Republicans coming in. Yes. That is a tiny majority. Just to give you guys sort of the, the landscape here, John Boehner, a far better politician than uh, than this guy, Kevin McCarthy. He had what, 240 votes, 240, 240 right. votes, or 247 votes. Um, you had. The, the next speaker after him, Paul Ryan, had actually 247. Uh, Boehner had 242. McCarthy is the least talented of these three politicians who are on the screen right now. He will have 222 Republicans. And as Eugene just mentioned, there are 14 House Republicans who are either no or maybe no. And that's some of the, most of them are insurrectionists. You got Gosar, Dan Bishop, Andy Harris of Maryland. You go through them. Clyde. You got so several of those. Most of them are insurrectionists. And then you've got a bunch of also insurrectionists. If you guys look on the screen, the ones with the stars are the insurrectionists. There are only a couple who are not insurrectionists who are against him. So he's facing a whole bunch of people. Um, and David, just talk about this. As somebody who's opposed yeah. him in the past when he tried to be speaker, how humiliating is it that he's having to beg Matt Gates when he's not asking for yeah. pardons for maybe trafficking a teenage girl? He's wielding power over the maybe next speaker. Yeah, Joy, and I would start with your comparison to Boehner and Ryan, because Boehner and Ryan had something else that Kevin McCarthy doesn't have, and that is the respect of his their colleagues. Kevin McCarthy simply does not have the respect of his colleagues. Consider this. John Boehner, you treated him almost like a parent, like your father. You did not cross John Boehner because you'd be disciplined. Paul Ryan was like your brother, your sibling, your friend. You didn't cross Paul Ryan because you didn't want to cross him. He was too nice of a guy. Kevin McCarthy is getting rolled by every single member of the conference so that they can 
get whatever they want. In, in being so openly transactional, he is weakening his hand hour by hour by hour. And part of that is based on what he's promised Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and negotiating with Matt Gates. And, you know, the most damning thing of this new letter of nine more members is the number of rep elects. You have three incoming members who pretty much owe everything they can right now to a House Republican conference, an NRCC, a Trump team that helped get them over the finish line, who their first act is to say, no, you're not the guy to lead us. Kevin McCarthy's in a tough spot. There is nobody yeah. else right now with more votes than he has, but he doesn't have enough to be speaker. I've said for months he's not going to be the next speaker of the House, and I think that's what we'll see tomorrow. And so, you know, just stay with you for just a moment. I mean, you have Nancy Miller. I've got her her final. Uh, she wrote her dear colleague letter. She's got yeah. tremendous respect. She'll be a, 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 a sort of senior emeritus backbench, but not a backbencher at all. She'll be not speaker, but she still has tremendous respect. And I think I, I wouldn't be wrong in saying Republicans respect her, too. They may not like her, but everyone respects her. And so you're right. She could lead even a narrow majority when she came in. I think oh, her yeah. final majority was super narrow, but she you didn't cross her. Right. People people That's respected right. her. So now you've got Kevin McCarthy, who, to your point, he's he's at the level of indignity that he's negotiating <sighs> with people like Lauren Boebert, yeah. who won by like yeah. four votes in Colorado, and people like Marjorie Greene, who's a looney tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they, and George Santos, who we don't even know if he's real. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's, he right. might be an imaginary friend. So, so in, in your mind, you say he doesn't become speaker. Does he give away everything and still get nothing? And then in that case, who do you think does become speaker? Well, he might. And there's a question of, does Kevin McCarthy in the House of Representatives a year from now? Because understand the mm. positions of majority leader, majority whip, NRCC chair, all those are taken. The irony is Kevin McCarthy actually understands the House very well. He would be a very good House member if he hadn't kind of uh, exposed himself so politically over these past several years. Look, Pelosi and, in a sense, Boehner ruled the House with an iron fist but a velvet glove. Even, even though they had that trait similar, what really sank John Boehner was this motion to vacate the chair. When he was there, only mm -hmm. one member of the House could call for essentially a vote of no confidence. What Kevin McCarthy has given it away is now to say five members, and I bet by tomorrow he's down to one member, they get to hang that over his head, which suggests even if he gets to the speakership, it's a day-to-day -day job, and who knows if he survives two years. Uh, that's interesting. So, 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 Eugene, that's what we've got. That's the table that's been set. McCarthy is willing to give away everything, even his own power as speaker. He'd be the weakest speaker probably in modern history, if not in history, period, if, he'd even, if he even got it. Are there conversations, because there's this other option, that Democrats could agree to a Republican speaker who's more moderate, who they think will actually pass legislation? Are those kind of talks taking place to maybe have Democrats who are going to have a very big minority to agree on a totally different speaker than one that we thought of. Well, those discussions are on the table because people are looking at what could possibly happen if McCarthy does not get the support, which he's not on track to get right now. But I think some of the more interesting conversations are coming from moderate Republicans who are far less willing to concede all of the things that McCarthy is willing to concede to the Freedom Caucus. You can remember that uh, there was great frustration when Ryan and Boehner were uh, speaker with how much control and influence some of the more far right Republicans had uh, in the GOP. And they're trying to make 
like the Republicans that are moderate that are presently in Congress are trying to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. So it doesn't mm. matter to some degree how many conversations McCarthy is having uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Lauren Bobart. There are some moderate Republicans who are not willing to engage them on the issues that matter most to those far right Republicans. You know, David, what's kind of interesting, yeah. you, you watch what's happening with in the on the Senate side with Mitch McConnell, who has been, you know, a handmaiden to the devil for a lot of Democrats <laughs> for a really long time. I mean, he did everything to try to destroy Barack Obama's presidency. He's not been a good guy. I mean, he didn't take enough responsibility for ruining their chances of taking the Senate back. He's the one who killed Roe v. Wade by stacking the Supreme Court the way he did. He ain't take responsibility for that. But he does seem to be trying to pivot to legacy mode. He probably will never serve as majority leader in the Senate again, but he's now a willing to pal around with the president, right? With the Democratic <laughs> president, with Joe Biden. Does that indicate to you that there might be House members thinking the same way, that maybe they want to legislate and not just do cuckoo stuff? In a, in, yeah. a, in a Republican House. Yeah, a handful in the House. Look, these are two very different chambers. And I think what you're seeing from Mitch McConnell is he's distancing himself from the House, to your point. Yes. He knows the House is going to be a circus and the Senate, most of them will want to be the adults in the room. I, I, I would suggest it comes down to your previous question, though. Who is the next speaker? And could there be a yeah. unity ticket or a unity speaker? If it's not McCarthy, maybe it's Scalise, maybe it's Richard Hudson of North Carolina. But if you get to 12, 15, 20 ballots, and this is into next week. Now you're looking at a candidate like Tom Cole of Oklahoma, Fred Upton, who has left the House now but could come back, somebody who has to be universally respected by Republicans. It is not a Kinzinger or a Cheney, somebody universally respected by Republicans that can get, say, 150 of the 222 Republicans. And at that point, the break glass scenario is Democrats say, you know what, this is a pretty strong hand we can play if we lend 70 yeah. votes to this unifying yeah. candidate. That's who Mitch McConnell wants to work with, not Kevin McCarthy. They're very interesting. And Eugene, because I don't, I don't see much difference with Steve Scalise. I mean, he called himself David Duke without the baggage. This is a problem, right? I mean, you're not a unifying guy if you're literally comparing yourself positively to David Duke. You've got Elise Stefanik, who was really literally willing to be whoever. She she would have been with Pelosi if she thought that would get her power. She wanted to get in the Buttigieg administration if he won. She is Mrs. Cellophane. She means nothing. So she doesn't seem like somebody who could engage. Is she somebody that's being talked about? Because she doesn't seem to stand for a damn thing. Well, she is being discussed because of her high profile, but is she being discussed as someone who has the support of more voters in the GOP than uh, Kevin McCarthy? No, not really. And Steve Scalise yeah. has his own issues with the Freedom Caucus. And so that's been one of the biggest issues about this whole situation. There's no clear number two. Every issue that some lawmakers have with Kevin McCarthy they have with someone else you can name or they have is other issues that have not been mentioned. And that's where the GOP in the House is right now. You know what, the, what folks call this in layman's terms? A hot smoking mess. <laughs> thank you all for trying to help us understand it. David Jolly and Eugene Scott, thank you. thank you both very much and happy new year. Okay, up next, more on Kevin McCarthy who finds himself needing the vote of compulsive liar George Santos. The readout continues unrolling this hot smoking mess right after this. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. 
Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We are less than a day away from the start of the 118th Congress, and Kevin McCarthy is miles away from his much-coveted speakership. The last thing that McCarthy needs right now is an unforced error. Sort of like George Santos, the newly elected representative from New York, who fabricated pretty much all of his resume. McCarthy has refused to say anything about the newest member of his cuckoo caucus. Maybe Kevin's just waiting until the dust settles, which could be a while since every day brings a new revelation. Last week, we learned that Santos lied about his high school education, his college education, his business dealings, his philanthropic endeavors, his Jewish heritage, his employees allegedly dying in the Pulse shooting, and his mom allegedly dying in the 9-11 terrorist attack. She actually died 15 years later, and there's no evidence she even worked in the finance office in the World Trade Center that that he claims that she did. I mean, he has lied so much that some have wondered if George Santos is even his real name. Well, the Washington Post found out that it is his name, but he actually hates being called George. In fact, he once wanted to be called Anthony DeValder, which is his mother's maiden name. They also discovered that Santos claimed to have helped develop carbon capture technology and once said that he had a very extensive role in gas and oil in this country. On top of what the Washington Post uncovered, the New York Times uncovered more lies, including an alleged stint as a Brazilian journalist, which never happened. McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy's vow of silence is due in large part because he needs the vote of George Santos. Republican Kevin Brady, who's retiring, said Santos should consider resigning given the magnitude of his lies. Now, technically, Santos can't resign yet, but he could elect not to be sworn in or he could resign after being sworn in. Honestly, from the looks of it, neither of those things will happen. Santos seems determined to take his seat in Washington, where this office awaits him and is heavily padded amid his, along with his heavily padded resume. But just because he's on his way to Congress doesn't mean that he's out of the woods. Santos is being investigated by the offices of the New York Attorney General, the Nassau County District Attorney, the Queens District Attorney, and federal prosecutors from the Eastern District of New York. All of them are investigating his Numerous fabrications, including his murky financial dealings and questionable campaign funding. Late today, in a new twist, the New York Times reported that Brazilian prosecutors are reviving a fraud case against the member-elect, which stems from 2008, when he allegedly used a stolen checkbook to make purchases at a clothing store. The case went dormant because Brazilian officials did not know where he was. If found guilty, Santos could receive up to five years in prison, plus a fine. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Richie Torres of New York and Susan Del Percio, Republican strategist and MSNBC political analyst. Uh, that was exhausting to go through, Congressman uh, Torres. I mean, I, 
I, I, we're starting to wonder if he's imaginary because nothing about him appears to be true. But I want to start on this Brazil situation. And, and I don't know if you as a member of Congress were briefed on the question of whether a member of Congress can be extradited because now Brazil, the Brazilian authorities do know where he is. He's going to be in an office in Congress with a big sign on the door. And it appears that he might have a legal case against him. Talk about what this means just as a fellow member of Congress. Look, I, I wish I had a clear answer, but we're in uncharted territory. George Santos is the target of local, state, national, and now foreign law enforcement investigations. Um, you know, he's a pathological liar who cannot be trusted to serve the very public he defrauded. Um, you know, he essentially has pretended to be a gay, Afro-Latino, Ukrainian, Belgian, Brazilian, Jewish, Catholic, brain cancer survivor, whose mother died twice, including on 9-11, whose employees died in the Pulse mass shooting, whose ancestors survived the Holocaust, and who magically became a millionaire overnight. And all of these lies would be laughable were the consequences not so serious, were not for the fact that he's about to become a United States congressman, and he's about to have access to critical information affecting national security. When you're a member of Congress, you receive security clearance by virtue of your position and I have no confidence that the likes of Kevin McCarthy or Lee Stefanik are going to protect the public from the future fraudulence of George Santos. Well, I mean, and that is the key, right? I mean, Susan, this is somebody, right, who in theory could get national security information in his hands. He can't even be trusted to, number one, not lie about his finances. I mean, this guy donated $700,000 to his campaign, but just like 10 seconds earlier, he was being evicted from his apartment. He had no money, nothing he said about his finance background, none of that is true. And yet he somehow found a way to donate all of this money to his campaign. But just the question of where that came from seems to be an invitation for federal, for federal inquiry, legal inquiry. So how is this going to work? I mean, the Republican Party is now beholden. Kevin, Kevin McCarthy is beholden to that. Yeah, um, it will not be the lies that end up putting George Santos away, if you will. It will be the the investigation into the finances. It seems pretty clear that top his top four donors or his top four clients of the company uh, were also his top campaign donors. It looks like a pass-through. Now, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things going on in Nassau County right now because those donors give a lot of money to the local GOP. So they're furious. And I'm pretty sure that these donors will flip on George Santos pretty darn quickly. So that will be one area. Then I wonder what forms he's going to fill out when he how he'll fill out the forms when he enters Congress. He has a lot of paperwork to do. There's yes. a lot yeah. of lying he can do on that paperwork, Joy. So when it comes to McCarthy, yes, he's going to deal with him because he wants to be speaker. But I do hope at the very least he doesn't put him on any committee. I mean, the committee's uh, congressman that he said he wanted to be on, uh, Santos told New York one last month, he wants to serve on House Financial Services or Foreign Affairs based on his 14-year background in capital markets and his multicultural background. Like, he wants to be on some very serious committees. Well, I sit on financial services, and I'm not clear that his fictional experience would qualify him to sit on the committee. But, you know, ultimately, George Santos is not only a reflection on himself, he's an, he's an indictment of what the Republican Party has become. Fraudulence breeds fraudulence. And when you have a political party organized around the big lie, 
when you have a political party that's become a cult of personality around a fraud like Donald Trump, charlatans like George Santos will inevitably follow. So as far as I'm concerned, the fraudulence of George Santos must be seen in the context of the Trumpian rot at the core of the Republican Party. And you, 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 you're trying to introduce legislation to make sure that there can't be another one. And you've named it after him. Yes. I mean, George Santos inspired legislation even before entering Congress. So I'm calling it the <laughs> Santos Act, uh, the Stop Another Non-Truthful Office Seeker Act. Uh, and it would require federal candidates to disclose in writing under oath, under the penalty of perjury, their employment, military and educational background, so that candidates who do lo- lie to voters can finally be punished so that voters have the ability to compare what a candidate has said under oath versus what a candidate claims on the campaign trail. And Susan, you know, to the Congressman, to Congressman Torres's previous point, isn't this also an indictment on Republican voters? Because there doesn't seem to be a, a, a great demand for quality, uh, whether you're talking about what happened in Georgia with Herschel Walker or this guy. It doesn't it seems like Republicans are willing to voters are willing to take any R no matter what the quality, because I'm not sure he would necessarily lose support of his constituents based on this stuff. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the folks out on Long Island and in Queens are pretty upset, even the Republicans, with with this deception. Um, I would say one of the differences with Herschel Walker versus George Santos is that we knew everything that was horrible about Walker. So I would put that in a slightly different category. I think a lot of voters do feel duped. As a matter of fact, the Nassau County GOP said they will not support him in 2024. Of course, they won't call for him to step down now. But Republican voters, I do, especially the suburban voters that put him in now, let's for, and we should also remember, Santos was never expected to win. This is just a weird fluke of events, frankly, when you look at how the election turned out with Lee Zeldin running from Long Island and a big voter turnout and a lackluster turnout from Democrats. But will it make a difference? No. We had Donald Trump. The core of the Republican Party is still behind Donald Trump. Marjorie Taylor Greene isn't influencing the speaker's race. These are things that Republican voters, the core, will not change. But hopefully more and more Republicans will wake up and say, we cannot tolerate this. Uh, look, Oz Masters, the lady, the, other, the, other, the other lady in Arizona. I don't know. It, it seems like a national problem. But I do want to uh, close with you on this, Congressman Torres. We've been talking. We talked in the previous um, uh, break, uh, the previous block. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has written a, a Democrat, a dear colleague letter, which you and others got. And she said that in her belief, the House caucus, the Democratic caucus, is the greatest collection of intellect, integrity and imagination assembled for the good of the American people. I doubt anyone could write that kind of a letter, to be fair, <laughs> about the Republican caucus. Uh, Kevin McCarthy wants to succeed Speaker Pelosi. Do you at this moment, just based on the folks you're talking to, fellow members, think that he will become Speaker? I'm skeptical that he will. First, Kevin McCarthy's no Nancy Pelosi. She's in a league Not of her own. Not even close. And <laughs> witnessing is a tale of two houses. Like the, the unity of House Democrats around Hakeem Jeffries is a sharp contrast to the dysfunction and division of the Republican Party. And I'm convinced that the far right is full of arsonists who are willing to burn down their own leadership, including Kevin McCarthy. So he's going to fall casualty. He's going to fall victim to the very far right to which he has been pandering aggressively these past few years. He's going to be hoisted by his own petard. That's my prediction. 
It's going to be uh, very, uh, let's just say, interesting to watch. May you live in interesting times is actually an insult uh, in the original in the original parlance, so it's not going to be interesting in a good way. Maybe. Uh, Carson, Richie Torres, and Susan Dopercio, thank you both. Happy New Year. And still ahead, finding an affordable apartment in D.C. sounds like a great way to begin settling in as the first Gen Z member of Congress, but not so fast. Congressman-elect Maxwell Alejandro Frost joins us next to explain. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. When you were running, you had to do some Uber work, right? You worked as an Uber driver because uh, yeah. you, <laughs> you needed to live while you were also running for, yep. for, for Congress. What's it going to be like up here? I mean, this is not cheap. Do you have to... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not cheap. I'm dealing with it, with it right now, getting denied from apartments, trying to figure out where to live because I have bad credit. I'm probably just going to have to, like, couch surf for a little bit. That was Representative-elect Maxwell Alejandro Frost of Florida, the first member of Gen Z elected to Congress, on struggling to find an apartment for many reasons, including available housing, inventory, and credit. Nothing unusual for the average 25-year-old in America. Now, while being a congressman-elect is not exactly average, that situation should be something that a lot of people can relate to, with the country in the midst of an affordable housing crisis that's hitting young Americans particularly hard. Nearly one-third of Gen Z is still living with their parents. And among those who have been able to move out, a third are spending about half of their monthly income on rent. But the Republican Party clearly doesn't care about that. Instead, the RNC research team mocked Frost in a tweet for having to couch surf with a salary of $174,000 a year. Frost clapped back, tweeting, LOL, so out of touch that they don't understand how renting an apartment works. Let me break this down. I don't get my first paycheck till February, and I don't have a lot of money. When you move into an apartment, you pay first, deposit, sometimes last, and for furniture. And joining me now is Congressman-elect Maxwell Alejandro Frost. And uh, Congressman-elect, it's great to see you again. And I am somebody who does remember um, what it's like to do rent. And it's changed a lot even from when I was your age. I mean, back then you could just do first and last. Now a lot of these places want first, last, and additional security deposit. Like it actually is really expensive to rent. And this is, D.C. is one of the most expensive places to rent. So talk a little bit about your experience of just trying to find an apartment. 
Well, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, you know, it's difficult. And, you know, there's millions of Americans who face this on a daily basis across this country. We know that it's expensive to move in somewhere. Like I said in the tweet, it's not just, you know, your rent. You got first, you got last, you got deposit, you got to furnish it. Um, a lot of uh, leasing agencies and a lot of these management companies are actually viewing the amount of money that you pay uh, for your application fee and to run the credit check as a source of revenue. We see some of these fees going up to $200 uh, at the maximum. And so um, it just shows that moving in is unaffordable for so many people. You got to have so much capital on hand. And for me, this is my second place I'm looking for, right? I mean, I've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of Republican folks clowning me on Twitter, you know, saying, oh, you can't afford an apartment. This is my second apartment. I have a home in Orlando. Uh, but it just goes to show that there's a lot of work that needs to be done on affordable housing, especially in protecting well renters and tenants. I mean, and you live in Orlando. I mean, Florida is one of the most expensive places to live in this country. Let's just be clear. It's expensive, like on New York and California level. There's just a, a list here that shows um, the states with the highest rent, one bedroom rent estimates. Uh, D.C. doesn't even rank. Uh, it isn't even in there. It's number 10. Washington State's number 10. But Hawaii's number one, New York, California, Virginia, Florida's number six. Florida's actually really, really expensive. You're talking about like one point four or, you know, one thousand four hundred and eighteen dollars a month. But the other piece is and I think a lot of Americans can relate to this. You you talked about credit. Credit will keep somebody even if they are making a decent salary. And, you know, a congressman's salary is a pretty good salary, but credit yeah. will keep you out. And sometimes the credit checks for renting are even tougher than the credit checks for buying. I know people in that situation who are your age. Yeah, exactly. And you know, look, when it comes down to my campaign, you know, I worked at Uber to pay my bills. Um, it didn't cover everything. I had to run up a lot of my credit cards to be able to just live while I was campaigning. And that affects your credit. Believe it or not, yeah. I had amazing credit before I ran for Congress. Um, and now not so much. And so I'm working through that. And the other thing that's funny from this RNC research account is they're acting like I get a lump sum of, you know, $174,000 right. <laughs> on day one. And that's not the it way that a salary works. You know, I don't get paid right. till February. And, you know, the whole, the whole point of me bringing this up is it shows that, look, the entry point to the seat of power determines who gets to that seat of power. And if that entry point filters out working class and poor Americans, then we shouldn't be surprised on why we don't have as many working class people represented in our government. I, and I'm so glad that you ran and won because you're going to represent so many people who are going through the same thing and they can relate to you because you're telling your story in a very open way. So I appreciate you doing that. I, I would be remiss if I had you on uh, from Florida and didn't ask you about your governor. Uh, he is now using the resources of the state when he could be fixing the insurance crisis in that state and the affordability crisis in that state. He's investigating a holiday drag show in my former county in Broward County. That's what he's doing with his resources and threatening that people who take children to a drag show with them can have the kids, you know, have the intervention from Child Protective Services. What in the world is going on in your state? <laughs> that's that's a big question, Joy. They have a few hours. No, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. Our governor is more concerned with children going to drag shows than he is with children getting shot in their classrooms, than people getting shot on the street. And it shows the hypocrisy. I mean, look, due to his failures to provide for working class people, he's scapegoating vulnerable communities. 
You can't afford your rent, it's the problem of drag queens. You can't afford this, it's the problem of, of our LGBTQ plus community, or immigrants, or black people, or poor people. And I think Floridians are going to see right through it. And look, part of what I, my, I see my job as is obviously the work of legislating here in D.C., the work of power building at home in Orlando, but also communicating Every time this governor does something that's dangerous, and we see him do this all the time, he acts like a dictator, and we have to be honest and blunt about it. We have to tell people how that's going to harm folks. And so he's using these resources that our state has um, to criminalize drag shows, uh, but not criminalize and ensuring that you know folks can live in, in, in their cities without the fear of gun violence. And we yeah, see right t- through t- it. Well, thank you. And, and tell him about it before he bans uh, history and information in that state, because he's on something with his supposed free state of Florida. It's yep. something to behold. Congressman-elect Maxwell Alejandro Frost, come back anytime. Thank you. And good luck finding an apartment thank in you. D.C. All right. And coming up next, ever wonder why so-called pro-life Republicans consistently vote against bills that help pregnant women, children and babies? Yeah, so do we. More on that next. As we brace for a Republican-controlled House and a post-Roe America, it may be a good time to take a closer look at just what the so-called pro-life party has been doing or attempting to do legislatively since winning their tiny majority in November. Over the past month, Congress has voted on numerous pieces of legislation. And while several passed with bipartisan support, there was a considerable amount of Republican opposition to members that all had one thing in common. That is, they affect either pregnant people, mothers, or young children. And these weren't complicated or thorny issues. In fact, they all seem like pretty basic bare minimum stuff. For example, in the House, 90 Republicans voted against the Pregnant Women in Custody Act, which would guarantee minimum levels of health care and nutrition for women who are pregnant and incarcerated and their newborns while also preventing those who are eight months pregnant from being placed in solitary confinement. Among the politicians who voted against the bill were Matt Gates and soon-to-be ex-Congressman Madison Cawthorn. 44 Republicans voted against a bill that aims to provide maternity services for pregnant and postpartum veterans. Yes, you heard that right. The party that supposedly loves the military doesn't want to help those serving our country while pregnant. Make it make sense. 17 Republicans voted against the Early Hearing Detection and Intervention Act, a bill that would help early diagnosis and treatment for deaf and hard of hearing newborns, because apparently they only care about the health of babies who are in utero. Once you're out, you're on your own, kid. There were also 28 Republican House members who voted against the Respect for Child Survivors Act, a bill aimed at protecting victims of child sex abuse. Those opposed, including, include none other than Lauren Boebert and QAnon Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, both of whom have previously made comments equating queer folks to groomers. And it's not just the House, by the way. In the Senate, five Republicans, all of whom are male, voted against the Pump Act, a bill that guarantees workers who are breastfeeding reasonable time to pump, which if you've ever had to do that before, you know takes a lot of time. Well, 24 Republican senators voted against the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, which ensures that women receive accommodations like water bottles, the option to sit if you're working at a cash register, and bathroom breaks when you're pregnant. The hypocrisy is astonishing. But even as these bills all end up passing or becoming law, it's still important to note because in just 24 hours, it is that very party that will control the House of Representatives. 
And while all of this is happening, red states are implementing more and more bans and restrictions that are putting women's lives on the line. And we'll take a look at one of those horror stories after the break. The horrific and cruel impact of post-Roe America continues, this time in Louisiana, where abortion is banned. As reported by NPR, Caitlin Joshua was between 10 and 11 weeks pregnant when she started bleeding heavily, passing clots and tissue. She sought care at two different emergency rooms, but each time was sent home without treatment options. When she arrived at the second ER, her jeans were soaked with blood. She was told to go back home and wait. Joshua's discharge papers couldn't even state that she was having a miscarriage, which is medically described as a spontaneous abortion, because that would then flag an investigation on the hospital. Weeks later, Joshua passed the pregnancy at home, telling NPR, this experience has made me see how black women die. Joining me now is Erin Carmone, senior correspondent for New York Magazine. And Erin, um, good to see you. Probably the most unsurprising thing in the world is that women are nearly bleeding to death and in some cases actually going to bleed to death because of the, path, the end of Roe. Your thoughts? Well, Joy, I mean, it's been six months since Roe v. Wade was overturned. And for the first few weeks that we heard horrific stories like the story of Ms. Joshua, we were told that this was hospitals and lawyers and doctors over-interpreting the law, wrongly interpreting the law. We were told that this was a ploy to make pro-lifers, quote-unquote, look bad. Well, mm. it's been six months, and we are still hearing these chilling stories, and you can only conclude that these laws are working exactly as intended. That is to say, they are creating a chilling effect where people can't get the medical care that they need. They practically need to be bleeding to death. This is a woman who repeatedly, specifically asked for care and was denied, even had her prenatal care uh, delayed because people don't even want to know in medical offices if somebody might need miscarriage care. Again, we've been told again and again that miscarriage is not affected by the abortion bans, that every week we hear somebody who's going through a horrific experience in their life that's being made worse because of the fear that medical doctors have that they'll be prosecuted, a valid fear, I might add. And we know that, you know, maternal death uh, is much higher. The rates of maternal death are much higher in this country than in most developed countries. They're far higher for black women than for non-black women. And in the states that have banned abortion, um, you look at the maternal mortality rates and they're horrific. Arkansas, rates per 100,000 live births. Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, and Mississippi— have horrible, horrific uh, maternal mortality rates. You also have uh, in Louisiana, the state where this took place, Ms. Joshua's situation took place, four black mothers die for every white mother and two black babies die for every one white, for every white baby. And this is the state where Senator Bill Cassidy said the following about the maternal mortality rate. Let's play it. Louisiana, about a third of our population is African-American. African-Americans have a higher incidence of maternal mortality. Uh, so if you correct our population for race, um, we're not as much of an outlier as it would otherwise appear. Louisiana is nearly one third black. And so what he's saying is if you just don't count the black ladies and we just like discount their deaths and we're fine. Uh, this is also a state where if you do manage to survive giving birth, the state of Louisiana, Louisiana ranks 49th. 49 in overall child well-being. So even if your child, if you manage to give birth without dying in Louisiana, your child will have among the lowest well-being in America. Your thoughts? 
So we know that some of the underlying factors that existed before Roe v. Wade were over, was overturned um, are now only being made worse. For example, Black women not being listened to by medical providers, which happened in the case of Ms. Joshua. She repeatedly said, I think something's wrong, and she was repeatedly disregarded. And that just meant that her ordeal was prolonged all of the more. Uh, we also know that the underlying inequalities that some of the legislation you talked about before were seeking to address are exacerbated by race and by class and by immigration status. Uh, so all of these things combined create a perfect storm that the most vulnerable individuals who are also the ones who have the most trouble getting emergency care or getting abortions if they are seeking abortions are coming down on their heads and the GOP essentially saying to them, you're on your own. Well, they're also making it hard. To, they're making it as hard as possible to vote in these same states. I mean, it's not coincidental that the states where you're more likely to die as a result of a pregnancy or where your unwanted pregnancy will force you to leave the state, even if you're a child, to try to get abortion care are also the states where it's the hardest to vote. And so they make sure yeah. that women can't punish them for making it more likely that they will die. I mean, listening to that Bill Cassidy quote again actually sent a chill down my spine, even though I've heard it and read it repeatedly, because what does he mean when he says correct by race? What he means is he wants to erase the black population of his state as subhuman. It means that he thinks that it's a, not a big deal because the people who count to him are not experiencing those high rates, even though every single one of them is his constituent and is a human being deserving of human dignity. Uh, and, and I think that that is exactly what we're seeing run roughshod. It's, it's been legislating in theory uh, in a really bad situation where it was already incredibly hard to get maternal health care and abortion care in these states. Uh, now, again, they've had months to create a situation in which it supposedly uh, reflects their pro-life values. They have not done so. How many more women have to present at a medical care provider uh, for them to say we're not going to keep letting this happen? Yeah. And most of these states will not surprise you were the states where there was formerly slavery that they literally went to war against the United States to preserve. Um, there was slavery all over the country, but these are the, a lot of the states that decided to go to war against us in order to keep it. Not surprising at all. Erin Carmone, thank you very much. And that is indeed tonight's readout. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 